All right, we're going to dive in the deep end of God's Word. If you grab your Bible, whether it's a physical copy or a digital version on your phone or tablet, in a moment we're going to go to John 17. In fact, a very significant prayer that Jesus prays, the longest prayer recorded in Scripture, prayed by Jesus. Before we do so, we're in the third week of a month-long sermon series, taking a look at four powerful prayers and postures that each begin with two words. So again, in that first week, we introduced this prayer that begins with God's search. In the second week, last week, we introduced just two words that begin a very powerful prayer, and it's Jesus save. Today, we're going to dive in again in this third week to the beginning of a prayer and a posture that begins with the two words, spirit sanctify. Now, I know the word sanctify isn't a a word that I use often, perhaps you don't use often. It's not a word that's used often in our culture, but my prayer is, my hope is, is that as we get through this sermon, that that word sanctify would become something that you fall in love with, that you would begin to love not only what it means, that you would love why it's important in your life, but finally that you would love who enables you to experience it. Also throughout this sermon series with next week being the last week of the four weeks, beginning with Trinity Strengthen, we've been taking a look at how these prayers, these prayers that begin with two words, don't just stop with us. It's not just God search me and Jesus save me and Spirit sanctify me and Trinity strengthen me, but these prayers go from personal to communal. And we've been moving outward to the community of faith we're a part of and how these prayers and postures are so powerful when we see ourselves as part of the community of faith, part of the body of Christ, part of those who are choosing to follow Jesus. And so God search not just me, but God search us as a church. Save us as a church. And today, Spirit, sanctify us as a church. But it moves out even further to the world in which we live, the society in which we live, the city in which we live, the neighborhood in which we live, which we've been called to. And so as we move through this month, which originally is in the month of October, on the precipices of a huge election here in the United States of America, in the midst of what I refer to as the great disruption of 2020, so many things that have happened this year. It is my hope and my prayer that we would be reoriented back to God's word. That in a world that seems so out of control, outside of us, but also inside of us, that we would be reoriented back to God and that we would begin to put into practice these four prayers and postures at a personal level, but also at a communal level. All right, so this is John 17. Again, it's the end of a very... Uh, long section where Jesus prays on behalf of not only his followers on that day, but ultimately all of his followers throughout human history. This prayer that we are about to read is a prayer that Jesus prays for you. I just want you to imagine that for a moment. Whatever's going on in your life, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, Maybe you've asked for prayer requests before. Maybe it's a friend or a family. Maybe somebody who's part of our church, you've asked them to pray for you. Maybe you've signed up for our prayer list, our prayer cordon. Maybe you've gone to our website and you've requested prayer through our Get Connected card on the website. But I want you to know that you have a Savior, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, whose scripture says, not just in this moment, but right now, in this present moment, is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you, praying for you on your behalf. In addition, you have the Spirit of God, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, dwelling in you that also intercedes for you, also prays for you with words that can't even be comprehended. So listen to this prayer recorded in Scripture by the Gospel writer John in John 17. I'm going to read verses 13 through 19. Again, this is the New Revised Standard Version. And after I read, I'm going to say, this is the reading of God's word and you will respond with thanks be to God. All right, verse 13. 
Jesus, in the midst of his prayer, says, But now I am coming to you, God the Father. I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they, my followers, may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I, Jesus, do not belong to the world. I am not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. You see, they, my followers, do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. This, friends, is the reading of God's word. And as we say, thanks be to God. All right, so this prayer, Spirit Sanctify, we're actually going to get to at the very, very end of the sermon. We're going to talk about Spirit Sanctify Me and Spirit Sanctify Us as a community of faith, but also Spirit Sanctify our world, our society at large. But before we get to that prayer, We've got to understand not only what sanctify means, we've got to understand why it's important, and we've also got to understand who enables us to experience it. So again, many of you are taking notes. You've got a, maybe a pad of paper, a laptop, however you take notes. Again, we're going to walk through the what and the why and the who of sanctification before we can actually make meaning of this prayer. So first, what? So the, the Greek word, which is the language of the New Testament, uh, it's a verb that we've translated into the English word sanctify. The, the Greek verb is hagiazo, and it literally means to make holy. Now, you know, when I hear the word sanctify, when I hear the word holy, I often, you know, think of, when I think about when I was younger, for example, I heard that word holy. You know, I just thought of something boring, frankly. I thought of something limiting. I thought of something austere and, you know, kind of removed from the world. But the last thing a high school Drew wanted was to be holy. Because my definition of holy had to do with saying no to a lot of things and yes to some some boring things. It felt very narrow to me. Maybe some of you, you hear the word holy. Uh, you hear the word sanctify. And maybe a lot of uh, emotions come to mind. Maybe some things come to mind that, you know, maybe you think about God. Of course, in Scripture, it says that God is holy. And so maybe we can wrap our mind around, you know, a bit of the holiness of God, the perfection of God, the goodness of God, the beauty of God, the grandeur of God. And yet there's mystery, of course. And, you know, what is holiness? What does a holy God really mean? And I don't know about you, but, you know, I can say for me growing up, uh, you know, I, I couldn't comprehend really at all, what it meant in practice to be holy like God is holy. And so, you know, I don't know what you bring into this moment at all. I don't know what your, your faith background has been. But if we could, if we could kind of peel back maybe some of what we've learned, maybe some of it's true, maybe some of it's not true. Maybe we've got some assumptions that are false. Let's, let's just peel it back. And like a piece of luggage, let's open up this word hagiazo to make holy. And let's try to fill it up with what Scripture says should be packed into that word. In fact, hagiazo doesn't mean just to make holy. In its original meaning, it means to be set apart for a purpose. Now, let's talk about everyday life, how this word hagiazo, we experience it all the time. In fact, there can be objects in your life that you have made holy. Now, again, get out of your mind that it's got to be perfect, that it's got to be good, that it's got to be pure just for a moment. And I want us to just press into this definition, the what of sanctify, the what of this verb hagiazo as being 
by definition, set apart for a purpose. Now, how many of you, uh, you know, sleep in your kitchen sink? Of course you don't do that because you have set apart your bed for that purpose. Now, of course, how many of you have, you know, uh, drank water using your doorknobs? Of course you haven't. You, you, you've set apart glasses and cups for that purpose. You know, how many of you have cooked food using your uh, windowsill? No, you haven't done that because you've set aside your stove and your oven for that purpose. All throughout life, we have made things holy. By definition, we have set them apart for a purpose. Now, in everyday life, again, we're just using just common everyday life sort of illustrations here. When you see that things can be set apart for a purpose, it's actually the opposite of boring, the opposite of austere, the opposite of limiting. It is actually tremendously freeing. When you have things in your life that have a purpose, you can actually get into your car and drive somewhere. You can turn on the stove and cook something. You can actually turn on the water in the shower and get clean because you have distinct things that are holy, that have been hagiazo, that have been set apart for a purpose. Now, coming back to scripture, it also says that inanimate objects can be set apart for God's purposes not just human purposes. So, of course, you move throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures into the First Testament. And through into the New Testament, you can see that Mount Sinai, for example, Scripture says, was set apart for a purpose, where Moses and the nation of Israel met God. In some ways, face to face, they were reminded of their identity and their purpose. They received the Ten Commandments there. We also know that the tabernacle was built and set apart for a purpose. We know that all the elements, even chairs and tables, lamps and things that were put into the tabernacle were set apart for a purpose, God's purposes. You get in the New Testament and you see the bread and the cup at Jesus' Last Supper were set apart for a purpose to point to the body and blood of Christ that was given and shed on behalf of you, for you, to, to sanctify you, to redeem you. Now, in the same way, that word hagiazo, again, which we translate into sanctify, comes from, the English word sanctify, comes from the Latin word sanctus. Maybe you've heard that before. You know, I went to... Catholic mass in middle school and high school as a student in Catholic middle school and high schools. And I remember in mass that we would often sing songs in Latin. And I remember this one song, Sanctus, 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 Holy, Holy, Holy. It also means to be set apart for a purpose. Did you know the word sanctuary? What I'm in right now, the Bel Air Church Sanctuary, also comes from the Latin word sanctus. It is a space that has been set apart for a purpose. Now, this sermon is so critical at all times, but especially right now, because right now, the first time you were hearing this, we're in the midst of a season where churches, not only around LA, California, the nation around the globe, are rhythms of worshiping within our sanctuaries have been disrupted. And so as a result, there's quite a few people, not just part of our church, but followers of Jesus everywhere who uh, have been put into a tailspin who have been uh, disordered in the regular rhythm of their relationship with God because they are not regularly frequenting as they used to this place, this sanctuary that has been set apart for a purpose. When we gather together as God's people in a place that is set apart from the rest of life, we can be reminded of who God is, of who we are, that we can step into these relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ and lift one another up 
to be sent out back into the world. How important is this prayer as we get to it? Because Jesus says things that are set apart are just the tip of the iceberg. Because in actual fact, not just things, people can be set apart. Before we talk about being set apart for God's purposes, let's just talk about everyday experiences, you know, just everyday life. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you know this, but I've been training a better part of this year to do a double crossing of the Grand Canyon, literally down and up and back, hopefully in under 14 hours. It's going to be about 50 miles of running. And so I am trying to do this. It's actually going to be happening this week, October 23rd. And when you think about that, this purpose, right, that I've chosen to, to <laughs> crazily step into, right? It's not just that I want to get back out of the canyon. I also, with the group that I'm going with, the seven of us, we also want to raise awareness for and raise funds for Hope Heals Camps, where kids with disabilities who have their own canyons in life that they have to cross on a daily basis can experience camp next summer for free. But in addition to that, not just getting out of the canyon and raising awareness and funds for Hope Heals, I also want to create some, some content, some resources to help people like you identify and cross the canyons in your lives, whether it be physical, emotional, relational, financial, whatever it might be. And so, you know, as I'm trying to do this, which by the way, you can find out more information about that and those resources at crossyourcanyon.com. You can follow along with us if you're so inclined, see how that went if you're watching this after the fact. But I want you to know that uh, when I set that purpose of those three things, I had to begin setting myself apart in order to accomplish those things. I mean, think about all the choices I've had to make. I've had to change how I eat, change how I drink, change uh, my bedtime. I'm waking up sometimes at 2.30 in the morning to get out and run for seven hours. It's crazy. I'm literally having to set my rhythm of my life apart from my normal everyday life. I don't normally do this. This is the farthest I've ever gone. I, you know, I, please pray for me that I get through this. You know, some of these guys I'm going with are just phenomenal runners, but I've chosen to set myself apart so that I can accomplish those purposes. You see, when a purpose comes into focus, you have to be set apart in order to accomplish it. You see, when I didn't have that purpose of running the Grand Canyon, I didn't set apart my schedule to do the things that I've been doing. And here's the great irony. And this is where it's so counterintuitive, so the opposite of the definition of holy that I thought was real back when I was a kid. It's been the opposite of boring. It's actually been exhilarating. I'm actually, you know, in the seemingly the best shape I've ever been in my life. I feel great. It's been deeply satisfying. It's been deeply rewarding. When I get to go out there, the things that I've seen in God's creation, some of the sunrises, I saw, if I can describe this, a white rainbow looking over this ridge that I was running on with two friends. I've run at three o'clock in the morning hearing a chorus of owls that I've never heard before. I heard a bird in Zuma Canyon that sounds like a ping pong ball bouncing through the canyon, things I've never experienced before because I chose to be holy. Now get out of your mind for a moment in this real life everyday example that I'm choosing to be perfect or morally upright. No, no, I, I chose to be set apart for a purpose. Again, when a focus comes together, when your priority is determined, when you understand what you are aiming at, then you can be set apart in order to accomplish that purpose. I mean, think about it. There's no uh, Olympic medal winner, no Pulitzer Prize winning author, no person that's ever accomplished a project, a purpose that didn't choose to set themselves apart 
in a distinct way, in a different way than the rest of society. So when a purpose comes into focus, the means to accomplish that purpose is to be set apart. And in this prayer in John 17, Jesus actually clearly communicates in a prayer to God the Father what his purpose for you and for me actually is. I want you to hear this. This is John 17. It's absolutely remarkable. In verse 18, he says it this way. Praying on behalf of us to God the Father, he says, As you, God, have sent me, Jesus, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. God has a purpose for your life. And one of those aspects of that purpose is that you would be sent into the world to be set apart for God's purposes. In this prayer, he says, don't remove them from the world, but send them into the world so that they can be an ambassador for me, Jesus, so that they can be part of bringing the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven, so that they can be blessed to be a blessing to all people, so that people could experience a vibrancy of what it looks like to be set apart for God's purposes in a different way than being set apart for humanity's purposes or the world's purposes. You see, this is absolutely transformational when you realize that you haven't been called to be holy for holiness' sake. That Jesus doesn't just pray, sanctify them so that you can be cloistered away, hidden away, privately away, just you and Jesus hiding the life and the light that is Jesus Christ in your life. No, you have been set aside for a purpose, sent out into the world to display the wonders and the glory of your heavenly Savior. And when you understand that purpose, and that comes into focus, you can begin to see now why this is so important. Again, if you're taking notes, this is that second point. We talked about the what of hagiazo, the what of sanctify, the what of holiness is to be set aside for a purpose. Now, why is this so important? Now, again, John 17, the whole chapter, you can read it later, is a prayer. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in Scripture. In fact, this is towards the end of his life. Jesus knows he's going to be arrested, knows he's going to be crucified, knows that this is going to happen. He chooses this out of obedience to God the Father. And this prayer in John 17 is after the Last Supper. This is after he's been betrayed by Judas. This is the night before he dies. This is one of the last major things he shares with his followers. And I don't know if you've ever been around somebody in the last moments of their life. You know, people in different professions, uh, maybe statistically speaking, more frequently have those experiences. As a pastor, I've had those moments, I've had those experiences, not just with people in the church family, but outside of the church family, but also within my own family. And my personal experience is that the words that people are able to say at end of life often reflect what they value. What is at the core, the center of that which they find important. You know, if somebody doesn't really care about tiddlywinks, I don't know why I thought of that, old game from when I was a kid, Chances are the last thing they're going to talk about on their deathbed is that child's game. Often the last words are the most important words. The last words reveal a heart. The last words reveal a life. And so Jesus, of all the things Jesus could pray on your behalf, he prays this, Father, sanctify them. God the Father, set them apart for your purpose. Why is this so important? It's Jesus' last prayer for you and for me. And when you begin to realize 
how Jesus, who was perfect, who was God in the flesh, who in every single way loved the way that God longs for us to love, who lives in all the ways that God longs for us to live, that he says in this powerful prayer, God set them apart so that you can use them. It begins to unravel other things in our life that we're being used by. Now, let me say it this way. Whatever you make the Lord of your life uses you. You see, if your career is the Lord of your life, your career will use you to define you. You will serve it. You won't have mastery over it. It will have mastery over you. Uh, if your reputation is the Lord of your life, the God of your life, then actually other people's opinion of you will use you to define you, to shape your identity. You will become enslaved to it, entrapped by it. You see, if things in your life become the Lord of your life, you don't own things, they own you, and those things, they own you. And time and time and time and time again, I've talked to people who have pursued all these other things and they've hit dead end roads and ultimately get to these places that maybe the world lifts up and says, that is the pinnacle of purpose. That is the pinnacle of joy. That is the pinnacle of satisfaction and security. And people who I've talked to that are in those places say, it's not enough. I thought this would be the mountaintop, they've said. But then I get there and I look around and this is it. You see, Jesus is saying something powerful. He's saying that when you make Jesus and God the Lord of your life and God begins to use you for God's purposes, by definition, nothing else in life can use you anymore. You won't be used by your career. You won't be used by other people's opinion of you. You won't be used by things when you truly allow yourself to be used by God. When you are set apart wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, for God's purposes. You see, kind of like a cello in the hands of Yo-Yo Ma is so beautiful when it's used properly. A cello in my hands, untrained, unskilled. I've never played a cello. That's the last thing you want to hear. When you put your life into the hands of your creator, the one that made you, who knows you inside and out, you can be used in such a way, you can be set apart in such a way, you can be made holy in such a way, you can be sanctified in such a way that it's the opposite of boring, the opposite of limiting, the opposite of austere. It is expansive and joyful and free. So why we should lean into the sanctification is it's because you, you were made for it. Like a fish in water like a bird in the air. You in the hands of God in every single area of your life is actually the deep longing of your heart, even if you don't even know it. But it's not just the what, it's not just the why, it's the who that can enable us to experience this sanctification, this being made holy, this is being set apart for God's purposes. You know, just for a moment, let me, let me go back to this run that I'm trying to accomplish. You know, again, I've, uh, I've tried to set myself apart to train enough. It hasn't been enough. I mean, I look at the log of miles and the schedule that I was supposed to follow. If I can say it this way, there was a truth of a running plan that I needed to follow. I look back on that, didn't even come close. There was a truth of a diet that I was supposed to follow, didn't even come close. There was a truth to the amount of hours that I needed to sleep, didn't even come close. So here I am trying to be set apart in my own strength and my own energy and I haven't measured up. 
And yet I'm still going to show up and I'm still going to try to accomplish that purpose of, of running the Grand Canyon twice. In the same way, there are things in our life when we choose to set ourselves apart for a purpose, we find that in our own strength, in our own power, in our own might, we hit limits. And it's important to understand that there is a truth to that. That scripture says in our own strength, there is not one person in their own strength, in their own morality, in their own abilities, can set themselves apart for God's purposes, can make themselves holy, can sanctify themselves. As the book of Romans says that we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. There is truth to that. But there's something else. There's also grace. You see, in John chapter 1, the same gospel writer that wrote this prayer, wrote that Jesus came full, not in a balanced way necessarily, you know, like 50-50, full of grace and truth. And it's absolutely essential to understand before we even pray, Spirit sanctify me, Spirit sanctify us, Spirit sanctify society, that we understand not just the what, but the why, but the who that enables us to experience sanctification. And the who is Jesus. Who isn't just grace, who isn't just truth, who is grace and truth. Let's go back to this prayer in John 17, and I want you to hear how Jesus reveals the two aspects of who he is in this prayer. Listen to this. This is John 17. Again, I'm going to read uh, verses 17 through 19. You've heard this before. Let me read it again. He prays, sanctify them. That's you. That's me. Followers everywhere. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word, God, is truth. Now, let's just pause right there. We can see throughout the fullness of Scripture the, the longing of God's heart that have been expressed through the written word of God as to what holiness looks like, as to what a life, a heart, a mind, behaviors, choices and perspectives could look like if you and I were set apart for God's purposes. There is a truth there, a capital T truth there that you can't compromise, that you can't negotiate with. To say it this way, there is a measuring stick that says this is what holiness is according to God. This is what being set apart is, according to God. Now, on one hand, if we disagree with that, if we say, no, 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 I don't like that, I, I disagree with that, then what we are doing in that moment is we are not allowing Jesus or God to be the Lord of our life. We are not choosing to be used by God. We are using God for our purposes in fact, something else in our life is our Lord, and we see God as just a means to that end, whatever that end might be. And in those moments, if we disagree with God's truth revealed through God's word, the written word of God, that the book of Timothy says that all of Scripture is God-breathed, all of it is useful for correction and teaching and reproof. And yes, there's things that we don't fully understand, and yes, there's things in different cultures and contexts that we have to understand what is going on at that time, in that place, in the midst of God's purposes. There's language that's very different than the 21st century that we have to unpack and understand. But in the fullness of God's word, there is a truth here that Jesus says is necessary to sanctify us, to make us holy, to set us apart. And on one hand, if we read that for a moment, perhaps it can inspire us. Yes, I want to love my neighbor as myself. Yes, I want to be slow to anger and quick to love. Yes, I want to have joy. 
Yes, I want to have peace. And so there's moments where we might aspire to that. We might want to measure up to that. But quickly, you might experience, as I experience, it can be crushing when all we have is just the truth. Because I found, and maybe you found, we, in our own strength, can never measure up to that level of requirement. So what do we do? Well, we don't do what the Pharisees did in the first century, which was all they focused on was the truth. They were big about morality. They were big on the do's and the don'ts. In fact, they made up more laws so that they could practice more righteousness, more holiness, more things that would set them apart from the rest of society. And we're called, and Jesus doesn't pray for us to be set apart just by pursuing truth, by just setting ourselves apart, by being obedient to the law. We can have an outward appearance of righteousness, but we will be dead on the inside. It often leads us to hypocrisy and judgmentalism towards other people. And that's why Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, God, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He goes on. He gets into the purpose, but then he gets into grace. I want you to hear this. This is John 17, 18. I've already read this before, but he says, as you have sent me into the world, again, John says in John 1, full of grace and truth, so I have sent them into the world. Okay, that's the purpose. Now listen to this. This is the bookend. It starts with truth, but it ends with grace. Verse 19, Jesus says, And for their sakes, I, Jesus, sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now listen to this. Jesus says, I, God in the flesh, I, the Son of God, I, the person who was without sin, I, the person who measured up in every single way according to the law. Jesus says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I, as the book of Romans says, the one who knew no sin. As the prophet Isaiah says, didn't do anything, was without any fault. He says, I sanctify myself. I want you to catch this. Again, the very narrow definition of sanctify, the very definition of holy, just being I measure up, I, I, I do the right thing, is, is so small because why would Jesus sanctify himself? Why would he need to do that if he's already done it, if he was already perfect, if he was already holy, if he was already tempted in every way, as Scripture says, but without sin? This reveals Christ's life purpose. He says, I have come to set myself apart for God's purpose. I have come in everything I do, through how I live, through how I love, and even how I die, to be set apart for God's purposes. Now, one of the things I haven't shared with you yet is that the original meaning of hagiazo, especially as you get into the Hebrew word for holiness, literally means to be cut off. So Jesus isn't just saying, I have set myself apart for a purpose. He's saying, I have cut myself off so that you would be sanctified in truth. What does that mean? And so there's this remarkable account in Isaiah 53, one of my favorite chapters in all the Hebrew scriptures. In fact, the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, has a prophecy about the coming Messiah, who ultimately Jesus fulfills that prophecy. I know many people who have grown up in a Jewish household have found through Isaiah 53 that Jesus is the Messiah and have come to faith in him. 
As God's chosen people, they've now given their life to Jesus. I want you to hear this in Isaiah 53, and I want you to hear the language of Jesus being cut off, the Messiah being set apart, the Messiah being sanctified to set us free. This is Isaiah 53, and I'm gonna read a longer section beginning in verse three. He, this is about Jesus, and picture this all, on his last day, after he prayed that prayer for you and for me. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity, and as one from whom others hide their faces. He was despised and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we have accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises, we've been healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living stricken for the transgression of God's people. He was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for God's people. You see, the who of holiness is the one who doesn't come and say, hey, you better live up to the truth. It's the one who says, here's the truth. And I know that you'll never measure up to it. But because of that, I still love you. And I have come to love you as you are, not measuring up to that truth. And I've come to love you as you are, not just with a feeling, not just with words, but to go so far to allow my life to be set apart that I would be, Jesus would be set apart and cut off from the land of the living. That the punishment that is due you for not measuring up to the truth would be poured out upon Jesus so that you would receive grace. You see, truth is a person. Grace is a person. They're one and the same. It's Jesus Christ. And you are sanctified in truth because when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the fullness of that truth has already been accomplished by Jesus and you receive that adoption to God's family through grace, through faith alone. God now looks at you because of the record of Jesus and he looks at you and he says, you have been made whole. You have been made righteous. It's the whole sermon that we had last week. Jesus, save, forgive my sins, heal me, make me whole, protect me from harm. It's all the fullness. Sanctification comes through faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And it is through that loving relationship that you can be set apart for God's purposes. This remarkable reality of being set apart for the greatest purpose in the history of humanity can be something that you lean into every day. And here's the practical prayer. Spirit, sanctify me. Now, why why spirit sanctify? Without going too deep in it, in John 16, Jesus says, 
Remember, uh, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour out the Spirit of God. I'm going to give them the paraclete, the counselor, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, because I'm going to leave. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can even come to faith in Jesus Christ. It is through the power of the Spirit that we can even discern what is true in Scripture, the truth of all that Scripture is. It is only through the power of the Spirit that we can be set apart for God's purposes. In fact, there's verses Maybe you're writing these down. You can read them later. You can read 1 Peter 1, 2. It talks about the Spirit's work and sanctification. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it talks about the Spirit's work in sanctification. In Romans 15, 16, you can read it later. It talks about the Spirit of God's work in sanctification, in setting you apart for God's purposes. And this is a journey of faith. This is what we get to do from in between the moment we give our life to Christ and the moment we die, we can pray, Spirit, sanctify me. Set more and more of my life apart for God's purposes. So help me see what areas of my life I've not allowed to be set apart yet. Maybe you've set apart Sunday mornings for God, but have you set apart Friday nights? Maybe you've set apart certain relationships in your life for God, you know, your fellow believers. But are there other people in your life that when you're around them, you don't look differently than the rest of the world? Maybe there are certain decisions that you make that, you know, you've brought into the Lordship of Jesus and you've allowed the Spirit of God to set you apart for God's purposes. But maybe there's a lot of other decisions that have nothing to do with your relationship with God. Maybe your spending habits, you haven't even considered how they could be set apart for God's purposes. Maybe your spending habits look like the rest of the world's. You see, this is the power of what can happen when you begin to pray every single day, before every decision, before every interaction, Spirit, sanctify me. Use me. Set me apart. For God's purposes. But remember in this series, it's not just spirit sanctify me, it's spirit sanctify us as a community of faith. Again, that definition, hagiazo, is set us as a community apart for God's purposes. I love this. This is absolutely remarkable. In 1 Peter 2.9, let me read this for you. It speaks to this very diverse community. Jewish, Gentile, they were Roman, people actually from different backgrounds, different socioeconomics, even different ethnicities. Uh, Peter writes to them in 1 Peter 2.9 and says this, but now you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, Peter uses a fascinating phrase right there. Hagion for holy. Ethnos for nation. When you literally translate that from the Greek, Peter is saying that it's not just individuals in a relationship with God who have been set apart but he's saying that now you are a part of a holy ethnos, a whole new community, a whole new people, a whole new culture that is the vibrancy of the distinctiveness of all the individuals from all their backgrounds, from all their ethnicities that come together that form this beautifully diverse, distinct, set apart and different, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic status, multi-intellectual, multi on and on and on that is now one heart, one mind with one focus and one accord that is focused on being set apart for God's purposes. You see, God's people should look differently than the rest of the world. It is God's people that when the world looks at should be this set apart, 
deep, vibrant, loving, forgiving, bearing with one another in love, community that isn't uniformity, but it's unity in the midst of that diversity. The world should look into the community of faith and say, wow, look at how they treat one another who vote differently than each other. Wow, look at how they treat one another that have different zip codes and different incomes and different backgrounds and different experiences and different ethnicities. Wow, look at how they treat one another when each other makes mistakes. Look at how they come along one another when one person deals with addiction. Look at how they come alongside one another when somebody wrong somebody else. Look at how they come alongside one another when there is loss, when there is disease, when there is doubt. There is this deep longing of Jesus' heart, of God's heart, of the Spirit's heart that we as a community of faith would be set apart and distinct for God's purposes. But when we come to that community with our own purposes and not God's purposes, we look just like the rest of the world. So let's pray individually, Spirit, sanctify us, set us apart. But it's not just that. It's as we are sent out in this world, set apart as individuals, set apart as a community, remembering what Jesus prays in John 17, 18, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you out into the world full of grace and full of truth so that more and more people would fall in love with Jesus. They would come to faith, that they would receive the Holy Spirit, that they too would be set apart for God's purposes. And there would be this marching movement of the kingdom of God where all would be welcome, that people would be welcomed as they are and through the power of the transforming spirit, that they wouldn't be left as they are, that they would grow in truth, that they would grow and become more like Christ, that they would grow in giving more and more and more of their life under the Lordship of Jesus and that we collectively would expand what it means to be part of God's family. Right here, right now, we can be that church. So would you join your brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of Bel Air Church as we continue to grow? Let's pray. Spirit, sanctify me. Spirit, sanctify us. Spirit, sanctify the world.